This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, Mike Slater in San Diego, filling in here in the Freedom Hut. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. In this hour, we're going to talk about uh, the truth behind hate crimes and the moral panic that our elites, that our betters, our superiors are, well, unfortunately, successfully creating in our country. But we got to fight back against it. And the only way to do that, well, the, the first thing we need to do is to know the truth and get the true perspective. Because once you have perspective, then you can bring peace, not only to yourself, but to those around you. So that's what we're going to do in this hour. First, ExpressVPN. We, we all are aware with the problems with censorship and social media and, and Twitter and Facebook and just tracking you and following your every move. So how do we get around that? ExpressVPN. Uh, you can give them a call and you can ask all the questions about the, the technology behind all of it. Uh, but all I care about is it's super easy to set up and one tap of a button on your phone or computer and you're protected. Right? And they encrypt 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys as well. So you can say no to censorship. Take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com slash buck. And if you click that link, then you get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Expressvpn.com slash buck and protect your data today. Hey, Team Buck, Mike Slater in San Diego filling in for the great Buck Sexton. It's an honor to be here. Uh, I want to talk about moral panics. That's going to be the theme of the, uh, the show today. Uh, we'll start off with this. This is Barack Obama. He said this the other day. This is in, relate to, relation, uh, in reaction to the, the mass shootings from the last couple of weeks. He said, we should be able, Barack Obama, we should be able to live our lives without wondering if the next trip outside our home could be our last. We should. But in America, we can't. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Wow, like that is, that's hysterical. That, that, that reminds me of uh, LeBron James. Remember LeBron James a while back? He said he's scared to leave his house. He said, he said you are literally being hunted. This is what he said. He said you're being hunted every time you step foot outside your home. That is hysterical. That is, there's zero relation to reality at all. Just, so let's do a couple of numbers. We're going to throw some numbers here on the radio. Numbers are kind of hard on the radio, so, but we'll do the best we can here. Just number of black people. This is 2016. Number of black people killed in car crashes, 6,700. Number of black people killed by other black people, 2,570. Number of black people killed by white people, 243. Number of black people killed by cops, because that's what LeBron James was talking about, 18. And number of black people in 2016 struck by lightning, 96. You have a far greater likelihood of being struck by lightning if you're black in America than you do being killed by a police officer. Yet LeBron James says you're being hunted. You're literally being hunted when you step foot out your home. Barack Obama saying it's, it's not safe to go outside. That is just whipping people up. It's causing chaos and anxiety and division. So let's give some truth. Let's give some truth. 
Your chance of being murdered in America? One in 20,000. Stay out of the drug trade? And your chances are even better of not getting murdered. And most murders occur with people between people who know each other, and most murders actually occur in the home, not when you step foot out of them. Mass shootings are even more rare. And that's the context of what Barack Obama was talking about, the mass shootings. You have as close to a 0% chance of dying in a mass murder as possible. About 50 people a year are killed in mass shootings. So you have a 1 in 6.6 million chance of being killed in a mass shooting in a given year. And Barack Obama, the former president, is telling people that you should be scared to go outside. It could be your last. It could be your last time you ever go outside and say goodbye to your family. No, that's absurd. That's absolute nonsense. Now, the reason he's saying that well, there's a couple of reasons. In the third hour, we're going to talk about moral panics and, and the exact format of a moral panic. And the very quick of it is an event happens. The media and politicians whip people up into a frenzy. Third step is people get super anxious and freak out, panic. And then the fourth is the government swoops in to save the day. <laughs> that's, that's always the final step, even though usually they're the ones who cause the problem in the first place, almost always. So the reason Barack Obama is telling you this, that you should be scared to go outside, is to create the illusion that America is terrible. America is evil. America is rotten to its core. America is an awful place. You should be scared to go outside. That causes people to be in a panic. And then the government can swoop in and say, hey, it's okay. You're scared. You're scared. You shouldn't be scared. What a shame that you're scared. You know what? I can fix it. Let's just hand over all the guns. Go ahead. Just hand, just give, just hand over all the guns to me. Or give me the authority to take guns from people. And then we'll solve this problem. And then you don't have to be scared anymore. And all this panic can just go away. That's how that works. You see it? Now, in a little bit of Barack Obama's defense, he did live in Chicago, where last weekend 15 people were shot and three people were killed. But we don't talk about that. Because you can't blame white supremacy for that and you can't blame Trump. Although, I'm sure there's some... People can find some convoluted way to do just that. I got some numbers here on interracial crimes. So we just keep this party going. Um, so it's uh, numbers are about the same every, every year. Uh, I mean, I, I have the exact numbers here from the FBI. I love that. I'm going to share this right here. And I know there's people I'm going to send an email. And they're like, who's this Slater guy coming in from San Diego, filling it for buck sex and thinks he can blah, 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 or whatever. I'm going to get them. It's fine. These are the FBI statistics. I don't know what to tell you if you're upset about it so i'll be gonna round the numbers because they're about the same every year i mean it's 576 is the actual number but about 550 black people kill a white person every year so 550 black people kill 550 white people and it's uh 250 white people kill 250 black people every year So it's much more likely that a black person kills a white person than a white person kills a black person. Now, I know that upsets people, but the per I share this because the perception is the exact opposite. I mean, look at LeBron James. LeBron James and Barack Obama. I don't like what's crazy. This is so wild. The former president and LeBron James talk about how they're going to get killed by white people. You can't even go outside. And I come on the radio and I say, well, actually, here's the numbers. And it's, you're way more likely. It's, it is more likely that a black person kills a white person than what you're saying is, oh, racist. 
say, oh, I'm, I, listen, I didn't even bring it up. Like, crime's awful. Like, no one should kill anyone. I don't know what we're... <laughs> right, but I'm just trying to bring some perspective and truth and therefore peace to the situation. That this is a crime problem, not a race problem. But perception matters because when your perception's all messed up, you're not even, you're not even in your right mind. One of my favorite questions that people do surveys on is, is perspective-related questions. So this one just came out a couple weeks ago. They asked people, how many unarmed black men are killed by police officers every year? So I'll ask you, how many unarmed black men are killed by police officers every year? What do you think? What, how many, just give it a ballpark number. How many unarmed black men are killed by police officers every year? Take a stab at it. Take a shot at it. 41% of liberals... And they broke it down based off of your political leanings. 41% of liberals believe it's over a thousand. Over a thousand unarmed black men are killed by police every year. This is like three a day. The truth, about 13 or so, 13. 2018, there was 13. That's very different than, than over a thousand. But do you see what politician and media-led moral panics can do? It can cause you to have wildly wrong perceptions and then people freak out and then we end up making really bad policy if nothing else but also bad cultural movements people scared to go outside and there's no reason for it i got one just from example from from yesterday example from yesterday uh richard blumenthal senator from connecticut he said that eight children every day are killed from guns that are stored unsafely he was blaming republicans for the mass shootings he was blaming ted cruz specifically for ducking responsibility. He's complicit. He said Ted Cruz is complicit in all these shootings. And he said eight children a day are lost uh, every day from guns that are stored unsafely. And I heard that and I thought, what in the world are you talking about? Like that, there's no way that's true. So I did some research on where he got that. He got that from the Brady um, campaign. It's, I think it's, it's probably the biggest anti-gun group in the country. And I found the website where they talk about this. Um, they call it Family Fire. And uh, it's not true. It's not true. It's 70 kids a year are killed by accidental discharge, which is not eight a day. It's more like one every five days. That's a huge difference. Now, 70 is too many. Everyone should do a better job of storing their guns properly. And teaching kids not to touch guns, not to play with guns, use protect, act as if every gun's loaded. We, like, we know the rules, and, and people need to do a better job of being a gun owner no doubt about that but one kid shot uh, killed every five days from accidental discharge is very different than eight a day and would therefore create very different reactions but that's richard blumenthal's point right he wants people to be in a panic and freak out so that they can come to the rescue and save the day by taking guns away from people so what's the problem with these lies uh just yesterday i read uh first corinthians 14 4 and uh, talked about how God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of peace. In 1 Corinthians 14, 40, it says, uh, but all things should be done decently and in order. In order. And if you do a study on the word order throughout the Bible, uh, God is, is order. God is order. He is clarity. God is peace. And when you spout off wildly inaccurate numbers and create these moral panics that have no relationship to reality whatsoever, you're, you're, not, you're not acting decently 
and you're not creating order. You're creating confusion, panic, and division. Watch out for people who are doing that. Mike Slater in San Diego filling in for the great Buck Sexton. Mike Slater, spread the word. What's going on, Team Buck? Mike Slater in San Diego filling in for the great Buck Sexton. Super grateful you're here. Oh, please don't turn the... I know, listen, when I tune into my favorite show and my guy's not there, I'm tempted to tune the radio off as well. Uh, But give this segment a a chance. I think you'll like it. Uh, I want to talk about anti-Asian hate crimes. There there is no anti-Asian hate crime epidemic. Does not exist. Not a thing. But after the shooting a couple weeks ago in Georgia, that instantly became the narrative from the media. I know Buck talks a lot about that. Uh, so you, we'll get some truth here. Does, as if it matters. Does, does, truth, does it matter? Does truth even matter in our post-truth world? Again, the four stages of a moral panic. You'd think we'd know better by now. You'd think the American people would be wised up when we see these moral panics coming after COVID and after George Floyd, and we need to knock it off with these already. There's four stages to a moral panic. First, something happens. Something bad happens. Second, the media inflames it and makes villains and victims. Third, people get anxious and panic. And then fourth, the government comes in and fixes it. So in Georgia, we have this sex addict psycho who was kicked out of his house for being a sex addict. This whole thing killed eight people, six of them Asian in that massage parlor. For some reason, we have this like drive to figure out the inner thoughts of a psychotic mass murderer. Like, I I don't know why we do that. Can you even begin to fathom how depraved you have to be to go randomly kill a bunch of people? I can't, but if you want to look into the psyche and find a motive, police asked him if it had anything to do with race. And he said, no, like, well, what are we doing? If it, if it did, if he, if he was like, I hate Asians, I'm going to go kill a bunch of Asians. And then he did. And police said, Hey, why'd you do it? You think he'd say, Oh, cause I hate Asians. But he didn't say, he said, no, I did nothing to do with race. But that didn't stop the media. Here's a key with people who are trying to inflame moral panics. Here's how you know, or one way. When they just tell you an, a percent increase in something without giving you the raw number. So the LA Times wrote an article and they said, there's a historic rise of hate crimes. 33% increase in hate crimes against Asians in Seattle last year. 33%. People are like, oh, wow, 33%. That's terrible. What they don't tell you is that that is an increase of from 9 to 12, <laughs> which, which isn't, right? I, I feel like they put that in there. That would negate the entire hysterics of the article, whatever a hate crime even is, right? They're defined differently, and right, it's a silly thing even to have. Crime's a crime. So something happens. The media fits it into a narrative. In this case, you know, white supremacy, it always is. Third, the panic. LA Times headline, pepper spray, Instagram, and buddy systems. How Asian Americans are dealing with attacks. And it talks about how people are buying uh, uh, pepper spray in bulk. They're buying it in bulk. What do you do with bulk pepper spray? Could you imagine buying like, like, like a fire extinguisher full of pepper spray? Like, what are you going to do with that? You just walk around, preemptively shoot it in front of you wherever you go? So it just talks about this article in the LA Times about all these these people who they're panicking. Thirty-one-year-old guy, Vietnamese guy, is talking about how he's got to make sure his battery's always charged so he can video the inevitable hate crime that's coming his way. And one woman said that you're carrying this feeling of inevitability. She says I can barely get out of bed. 
you can't live your life on guard like this all the time. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And I can't leave my house alone. It's like, wow, that is entirely irrational. You've maybe heard the line that there's been a 149% increase in hate crimes across the country. 149% increase. Again, without giving you the raw numbers. That's from 49 to 112. 112? That's what we're talking about here? Again, 112 too many. But is that worth buying pepper spray in bulk and living constantly on guard to the point where you can't get out of your bed? 112? There's 19 million Asians in this country. 19 million there's 112 hate crimes. That's a moral panic. But then the government swoops in, saves the day. At least they say they're going to save the day. They always end up making things worse. By the way, isn't it interesting Kamala Harris is now all of a sudden our first Asian vice president? Like I've never heard that ever until last week. Her mom's from India, so she gets it. She can fix it. I mean, she understands what it's like to be an Asian American or something. So the government's going to fix it. Um, but the government actually caused all this. What do I mean? How did the government cause these bad things to happen? Where are these hate crimes taking place? LA Times, I might be dead right now. Asian man describes brutal attack on San Francisco Street. These crimes are taking place in San Francisco, in LA, and New York. Not exactly uh, Trump bastions, <laughs> Trump strongholds. So what's happened in San Francisco and LA? California, we have something called Prop 47, maybe passed in, uh, six, eight years ago, something like that. It lowers felonies, many felonies, down to misdemeanors. So these people used to be getting arrested. They're not getting arrested anymore. So they keep it on the streets. There was an attack in a laundromat. Three fine gentlemen uh, attacked this Asian guy sitting inside a laundromat, just came in, cold-cocked him from behind, and took his money. Those guys were connected. They were caught and connected to eight car burglaries in San Francisco. Shockingly, if you keep criminals on the street, you get more crime. So you have Prop 47, we have uh, COVID. We've, in California, we've emptied out our prisons and jails, or I should say our jails. So we just let these criminals out on the street because heaven forbid they get COVID in jail. San Francisco just last year elected a straight up Marxist as their DA. And I'm not like, that's not an insult. I'm not like he's self-proclaimed. Hi, I'm Cheza Boudin. I'm a Marxist. I used to work for Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. Vote for me and I won't prosecute crime. Like that's, that was his whole thing. LA Times wrote a story about two Asians who were randomly knocked over on the sidewalk for no reason. The attacker is named Jorge Devis Milton. Black guy goes by Yahya Muslim, who has two prior felony assault convictions. You think that guy was motivated by Donald Trump calling it the China virus? One attack in San Francisco made news because this guy attacked a 91-year-old lady and she beat him up. It was a crazy homeless guy. Is that Trump's fault? Story in Oakland, a racist tirade against an Asian gas station owner. I got the video of it. The guy is a Muslim guy. He has these Arabic bumper stickers on the back of his car. He wanted to pay for his gas in quarters and got mad when the owner wouldn't let him. Is that Trump's fault? We got to be very careful of these moral panics because there are people who are making a lot of money and getting a lot of power by sweeping you and me, trying to sweep you and me up in them. And no longer. Mike Slater in San Diego filling in for the great Buck Sexton. Spread the word. What's going on, Team Buck? Mike Slater in San Diego filling in for the great Buck Sexton. Thanks for being here. Uh, truth, and you know, Buck talks about this all the time. Truth doesn't matter. <laughs> Unfortunately, of course it does, but in our society today, so many people just just doesn't. Duke University. Someone posted on a campus bulletin board George Floyd's toxicology report. Now, listen. <laughs> We could talk about if that's the most effective way to get a message across. 
but Duke has issued now an investigation into it. This is the dean of students. We are completely aligned with the idea that a person who causes harm to others in this community and elsewhere should be held accountable. Uh, causes harm to others. What's the, what's the harm that was caused? We don't have a picture of it, but the student newspaper said uh, each and on this the document that was posted on the bulletin board, each compound listed on the toxicology report was underlined with a pink pen. And the person wrote notes across the top of the page insinuating that Floyd was responsible for his own death. Therefore, we need an investigation. Who dare post the official uh, toxicology report? Maybe I need a, a quick sidebar here. Uh, the jury selection is, is going on right now for George Floyd. The trial starts in just a few days here, opening statements, I think on the 31st. And it's going to be a horrible time for this country. It's all televised. And it's very likely, very likely. I mean, obviously, there's a very biased jury. It's all about jury selection. Um, I mean, everyone knows about the, the case. So it's, I, don't know, I don't know how they're going to get an unbiased jury in, um, in downtown Minneapolis. But if you look at the evidence, and only the evidence, then it is very likely that Derek Chauvin would be found uh, not guilty and acquitted and be let free. And if that happens, then get ready for every city in this country to be burned to the ground. It is going to be a very bad time for this country when this trial is over. Because most people, and even the trial itself, during the trial, most people don't know anything. <laughs> they just saw the video and that's it. Most people don't know anything about what's going to be revealed through this trial, including the toxicology report, that he had three times the lethal amount of fentanyl in his system. I think whoever posted the toxicology report, the point was, his point was that this information is not being shared, that people don't know this truth. People don't know the facts. People don't know the truth. And you should know it. You should know Wherever you end up stay, uh, standing on the issue, right? Wherever you end up, fine. But you should know that the metal, medical examiner said that if they found George Floyd just dead somewhere, they'd assume that it was a drug overdose because he had three times the lethal amount of fentanyl in his system. His lungs were two to three times the weight of normal lungs because they were full of fluid because of all the drugs you should know that the medical examiner, and you will know, the country will know when this comes out in the trial, that the medical examiner found that there was no sign of any injury to his neck or no sign of restrictions to his airway. The medical, don't yell at me, the medical examiner concluded that there was no pressure assigned to his neck that caused him to not be able to breathe. So those are the facts. That that's what the medical examiner re report says. You can decide what to do with it, but people should have that information, right? Apparently, if you post that information at Duke, you're harming people, and there needs to be an investigation. Heaven forbid what happens when they find the person who posted it. Maybe kick them out of school. Here's someone at Duke... Um, uh, this person was met with distasteful remarks that seemed to invalidate my feelings and experiences. 
right? So it's all about, I need to, you need to validate my feelings. You need to validate my experience. Okay, but here's the, here is the toxicology report. Here, here is the medical, no, no, no. Those aren't my feelings. That's not my experience. Facts not allowed. I got video here, and we can't play it because the audio is not good, but um, there's a high school teacher in Ohio at a Catholic school. She was fired. She's the theology teacher, one of the theology teachers. And one of the students on their Zoom class had uh, a screenshot of, like their picture was of LeBron James wearing an I Can't Breathe shirt in reference to George Floyd, who, by the way, said I can't breathe seven times before he was ever on the ground, and that's because of what's called pulmonary edema, which is excess fluid in the lungs. That's why his lungs weighed so much. That's caused by a drug overdose before he was ever even on the ground. But again, that'll come out during the trial. Um, again, we don't have the video here, but she, we do have the video, but you can't hear it. She says, the teacher does, um, related, regarding the I can't breathe, she says that's just not true. And it perpetuates a myth against police. I'm not sure LeBron James is in the position to be disrespectful to police officers, primarily because he probably doesn't go anywhere without a bodyguard. And a student came back and said, did you just say that it's disputed that George Floyd couldn't breathe? And she says, yes, it's disputed. And the student says, by who? Just like aghast, by who? She says, the tape. And the, the student is freaking out. And the student says, did the medical examiner, never mind, I'm sorry, I'm going to stay I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble. And then the teacher was fired because of it. But the student didn't finish the thought. That's what's interesting about this story. That student did not finish that thought. Right? She said, "Did the medical examiner?" And she didn't finish the thought because she probably never read the medical report. She wanted to say something like, uh, well, well, didn't the medical examiner say that he died from being strangled. She wanted to say something like that, but the medical examiner did not say that. In fact, the opposite. He said there was no sign of injury to his neck. So she couldn't back it up with anything. So she decided not to say anything, which is noble. The teacher still got fired for it. And that's just the first of many of these to come, certainly when the trial starts. And listen, when the trial starts next week, all this is going to come out. Um, it's going to be a f wonderful lesson in human nature as to what people choose to hear and choose to reject. This student didn't want to hear anything. Too emotional. Don't want to hear facts. You're not validating my feelings. That's the most important thing. Feelings over facts. You got to validate my feelings over facts. Even the idea that that's really been spread a lot these last couple of days is that all mass shooters are white men. Because right? that was the big thing. Like, oh, another white guy. Kill this was in uh, Colorado. Oh, another white guy. Another white guy. Oh, I know he's white because the police didn't kill him. If it, if it was a black guy, they would have killed him. And it turns out he wasn't white. His name was Ahmad Asira, As some Syrian immigrant. Right? So quickly, the conversation pivoted to gun control as opposed to white supremacy. And here we are, Biden wanted to take away your guns again. But again, it would push this whole narrative that all mass shooters are white men. And that's not true. Uh, from 1982 to 2021... There were 121 mass shooters, 1982 to 2020, 2021, 40 years. There's 121 mass shooters. 66 were white, so about half. White people are 75% of the country, so 
I mean, we'll call it about right. I mean, it's, it's actually a lower proportion than, right? But sure, we'll call it half. So there are, it's not all white. All shooters are white men. All mass shooters are white men. That's not true at all. But again, why are we so obsessed with race? Why can't we get down and talk about the things that are, are really at the root of this? My, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes, Henry David Thoreau, he said, there's thousands hacking at the branches of evil for every one that strikes the root. Let me play this sound clip right here. This is uh, on my, my local show the other day. We talked to um, Wilfred Riley. He's a professor at Kentucky State. He's great. I think he's the next generation's Thomas Sowell. He's wonderful. Uh, I have two clips I want to play from him. The first, I asked him about those uh, Richard Blumenthal numbers that I shared a second ago where he said eight kids every day are killed by uh, accidental discharges. And the, it's not eight a day. It's one every five days, which is very, very different. So I asked him about that. I said, how, like, these, these wildly outrageous numbers that the left throws, throws out, they're not true. What, what do we do with that? Here's what he said. One of the things that's so annoying about the quote-unquote culture war is the use of this idiotic, apocalyptic language and the numbers that go with it. So if you want to discuss racism, you could say something like, well, there still seems to be a 7% residual bias against blacks and especially Latinos in apartment rentals, but affirmative action compensates for much of that. Like, both sides could have a real conversation. <laughs> if you describe that as, say, a genocide, people are going to, at least you and I and most other people, are going to stop taking that seriously. In terms of those actual numbers, what the uh, representative did, I have to imagine, is take the total number of people under 18 that are killed every day. That would include 17-year-old gangbangers, Antifa fighters, anybody that's under 18, and say that's the number of gun tragedies. But that's like saying the total number of people shot by the police is the number of unarmed black men. The majority of people shot by the cops are attacking the cops with a pistol or a rifle. I got to take a break here. I want to come back. I got one more clip from Wilfred Riley that I want to play coming up next. And I ask him, why do people believe these numbers so easily, right? A congressman or senator in this case can just say these ridiculous numbers and people just go with it without any critical thought to it whatsoever. Why is that the case? We'll get his answer on that next. Mike Slater in San Diego filling in for the great Buck Sexton. Spread the word. Hey, Team Buck, Mike Slater in San Diego filling in for Buck Sexton. Uh, the theme of this hour has been moral panics and the stages of a moral panic and why politicians and activists and, and people in government uh, push these on us and, and why we keep falling for them. That's the we, just, we just went through maybe one of the biggest moral panics ever in COVID. You'd think we'd be wise to this by now, but we're not. They keep coming rapid fire and we keep falling for them. So uh, I want to play one more clip here from Wilfred Riley. We talked to him on my local show yesterday, and uh, he's a professor at Kentucky State. He's great. Again, I think he's uh, the next Thomas Sowell, just the way he thinks. Um, is uh, very soul-esque. Uh, so I asked him, I said, why do we believe these numbers so easily that people just throw out about hate crime statistics or gun violence statistics or whatever? Why do we believe it? Here's what he said. Well, that's an excellent question. But I mean, it, it, that really almost gets down to the nature of man in scientific or spiritual terms. I mean, we are some humans are a predator species. America is a warrior society, or at least we were traditionally. We respond quickly to things. And if someone that we generally trust, NBC News or something like this, mm -hmm. or CNN, MSNBC these days, are presenting this daily storyline of the, the problem here is white supremacy, a lot of people are going to say, well, I don't think my leaders would lie to me. The problem here must be white supremacy. And then in this country, the reaction 
reaction from a lot of young black and white and et cetera people is going to be, let's go get these white supremacists. And that's one of the reasons you've seen sort of left and right clashing in the streets. And the reality is that if you, if you looked at the full membership list for, you know, some storm front, you'd probably find that there are less than 20,000 actual white supremacists in the whole country. Yeah, we, should, we should fight real threats instead of boogeymen, I think would be one. Sure. One last point I want to make before we get to the border in the next hour. Uh, the, the term white. Gosh, this deserves hours. I got two minutes. Um, let me let me quote here. This is Hannah Nicole Jones. So whiteness doesn't mean skin color anymore. It's it's a it's a culture. It's white culture, white supremacy culture. And there's a lot of different aspects to it. Uh, and we'll get to that. But this is Hannah Nicole Jones. Right? She is uh, the person behind the 1619 Project. She's the leader of what your kids are being taught in elementary school. Right? She's the person behind the entire curriculum that's being taught in schools today. This is from November 4th of last year. She said, whiteness is not static and it's expandable when necessary. A lot of folks we don't think of as white think of themselves as white because the lines have never been entirely clear. That's the beauty of white supremacy. It's extremely adaptable. What? So whiteness is whatever the activists need it to be so they can keep in the words of James Lindsay, keep scapegoating and grifting. So when Asians are doing well, when Asians get into colleges at a much higher rate than black people, then, uh, well, Asians are acting white and they're um, white adjacent. But then when an Asian is the victim of a hate crime, oh, well, then they're a minority. They're an allied group, victims of white supremacy. Another way for these activists to get attention and money and power so whiteness is whatever they want it to be i got a video of uh an asian woman getting called all sorts of terrible slurs on a bus it's in miami and the camera pans over and it's uh, some homeless black guy doing it's a homeless guy an addict surely but the left can spin that into white supremacy really they could spin that into white supremacy you got this homeless addicted black man clearly mental issues saying uh, offensive slurs at an Asian person, and that's white supremacy. I'm not kidding. Well, he's poor and homeless and addicted because of, of the white systems, white, white power systems that have kept him down, prevented him and his ancestors from accessing health care and quality housing. That got him into a place where he acted like this. Also, he learned from white supremacists on how to treat people. And he was angry at an Asian person, rightfully so, because Asians are white adjacent. So she had privilege over him. So what he did was justify. I'm not kidding. That's the academic argument. And they got to do anything to make everything <laughs> white supremacy. Whiteness is whatever you want. And that's why you also hear the term whiteness. Whiteness. And remember, this is from the Smithsonian. They talk about aspects of white supremacy culture. Whiteness is showing up on time. Whiteness is believing in merit. Whiteness is trying to achieve excellence. Whiteness is proper English. Whiteness is, uh, they call it um, uh, something of the written word, supremacy of the written word. So writing properly. Whiteness is the concept of a standard. These are all white. So white isn't even a skin color to these activists anymore. White is an adjective used to describe anything bad. And it always will come back to your fault. And if you, if anyone truly believes that that is uh, a recipe for a functioning society, you're out of your mind. These people need to be outright rejected. 
and prevented from having any more power and influence over our kids and over our culture. Coming up next, I want to talk about the border. I'm here in San Diego. Uh, 1,500 unaccompanied kids are being housed in our convention center starting uh, tomorrow. So we'll talk about the border next. Mike Slater from San Diego, filling in for the great Buck Sexton. Spread the word.